The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's February 3rd, 2022, as we bring you a new episode. We are going to discuss the latest Zips projections on fan graphs. Our best friend, Dan Zaborski, just released the American League standings projections. Surprise! The Chicago White Sox are projected to win the American League Central again in 2022. But by how much? And while another division title would be great, more importantly, how do the White Sox stack currently against the other American League teams? It would also help if we know when the lockout was ending, so we could see in how the remaining free agents and possible trades could possibly change how the Zips projections look at the 2022 season. Both parties met again this week to discuss economic and non-economic issues. We are going to share the latest and ponder just how far apart both sides are to making a deal. Is spring training at risk? Should opening day ticket holders start sweating? We'll discuss in a moment. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Some of our podcast listeners might be listening to this episode while shoveling a foot or more of snow in Chicago. But speaking of winter, the Winter Olympics are starting. So let's quickly talk about curling. Uh, How does Team USA look? Like, What are the chances that they're going to bring home some medals? It seems like, you know, should it happen again where, you know, one of the U.S. teams wins gold or medals even, because I think even bronze would have been a surprise for the men's team last year and they happen to win it all. Uh, it shouldn't be that much more of a surprise just because uh, Schuster's rink has really been impressive. And it seems like on the women's side, uh, Tabitha Peterson, who's the new skip for the women's team, uh, they've, they've played really well. They were, both teams were the class of the American trials. And yeah, the, the one problem is when you watch the American trials and then you watch like the Canadian ones, you see like how thin the ranks are for American teams. Like the, uh, you know, Canada can run like six deep probably with teams that can compete for, you know, the, the best in, in, in the States. But I, I think, you know, even that with notwithstanding, 
they're in pretty good shape. But I, I think, you know, when you look at the women's side, I think, you know, Switzerland's been good. Uh, you know, Canada's always strong. Sweden's always strong. And then on both sides, Scotland is looking pretty, uh, pretty deep. So I think those are like the four teams I'm thinking are favorites one through four on both sides. Uh, but I think both teams are better equipped now. I mean, there, there's been a lot of continuity and, uh, I, I think on the women's side, just having a, a skip shift um, because Nina Roth was a skip before. And I think just for whatever reason, they've been playing a lot better with Peterson being the skip. I like their chances. I mean, maybe not gold this year just because <laughs> the run last year was insane and, and, and pretty much impossible to duplicate. But mental chances, I think, are pretty good. All right. Awesome. All right. So we talked about the snowstorm. We talked about curling. I guess we'll talk about baseball the latest CBA negotiations and we continue this conversation and we had Eugene Friedman on a recent episode of the podcast and he was terrific breaking down what was going on as far as in these talks and providing his unique insight and the initial reports that we read coming out of these CBA negotiations this week is more heated conversations between the league and the players association I guess for those listening, you can view that as a good or bad thing. Heated that they're actually negotiating and they're getting into the weeds during the negotiations and they're not talking past one another. You can also look at it as a bad thing that they're not anywhere close to getting a deal. And and that's what the sense is right now. As Jeff Passan tweeted out shortly after the first economics meeting, uh, that little progress was made. The on-time opening of spring training at this point is in great danger. And frankly, it would take a miracle deal coming together to rescue as far as spring training, the, the opening spring training, a delay to spring training feels inevitable. And Evan Drellich has been doing a terrific job along with Ken Rosenthal at the athletic getting more details. And I think this is more from the player side on what the players have been proposing to the owners uh, in these counter proposals, uh, we talked about the $105 million bonus pool for pre-R players. The players have uh, stepped that back a little bit. They are willing to take $100 million. Owners counter, $10 million. So they're really far apart on that. And then there's the whole service time manipulation in which the players union uh, is dropping the number of players who would be awarded a full year of service time Their previous proposal, they wanted to give a full year of service to players at the top 30 uh, or even top 10, depending on their position, by war. That that was another controversial thing that was coming from these proposals is using wins above replacement to decide as far as not only bonus amounts, but also service time. This also goes back to the whole Chris Bryant thing. Mm -hmm. If you remember, Chris Bryant wins the Rookie of the Year in 2015. He didn't accumulate a full year of service. He did that the following year, and then the the Cubs got that extra year. What the Players Association wants to do is that if your rookie uh, is in the top 10 in a position, averaging Fangraphs war and baseball reference war, they're going to earn a full year of service no matter how many days you use them. Uh, So if you only use them half the season, but they become a top 10 player in half the season, they're going to earn a full year of service. uh, So you, you, the general manager, don't get to have an extra year or continue to extend your control of said player. And it just seems like the owners want to continue with the status quo. Shocking. Mm -hmm. uh, And the players are asking for a lot of changes. 
which shocking, we knew this was coming. Jim, I want to circle back to what Jeff Passon tweeted about grave danger of spring training starting on time. Are you sweating the start of spring training right now? Uh, I guess I don't think it's going to start on time, at least, you know, when it comes to like a full service spring training uh, that actually has, you know, major leaguers there and games and such. But there is a little bit of fat on spring training to where they can lose a couple weeks here and there and not have to worry too much about players not being ready. Yeah, I think there's a reflexive fear a little bit when it comes to, like, say, pitchers being able to ramp up and actually get the workload they need to be ready. But I think the way pitchers have been getting hurt and, uh, you know, the way, uh, you know, especially with the pandemic and such like injured list time ramping up and even the shift to 162 that was blamed for, you know, some injuries. And then, uh, but I think, you know, what we've seen say like the past five years, normal seasons, not normal seasons, continuous 162, uh, abbreviated seasons. Like it just seems like pitchers get hurt. Players get hurt, you know, more and more, uh, you know, there's more and more time lost to injuries. So I don't see, uh, you know, should spring training just take place in March versus February? I don't think that would, you know, there might be more injuries that result in this during the season, but I don't think you could go back and pin it on spring training just because it seems like just more a product of the way baseball is played versus anything the players are doing right or wrong or differently in the six, seven weeks leading up to opening day. Yeah. You could go on the Instagram of these players and they're posting, you know, their workout photos, their workout videos. Yoan Makata has been sharing as far as his, his workout videos. The players are getting themselves physically ready to begin a 162 game season. It's just the timing, right? It's the hitters timing, facing the live pitching, there's only so much that you could do as far as timing in a batting cage, but it's nothing stopping the players association. And it sounds like they may have this already in place that depending on where you live in the United States, they may have dedicated fields that the players themselves can just host their own spring training and just face each other. I don't know who's going to be running drills uh, or whatnot to, to really get mm-hmm. them to as close as the real thing during spring training. Um, But there is that possibility that there's going to be locations around the country that if this goes into March, that the players can still continue working out and even facing each other uh, in high school fields or college fields or whatever, you know, that they find uh, to stay sharp, as sharp as they can before the regular season starts. How about opening day? Are, Are you sweating about the start of opening day in 2022? A little bit, just because there is no, you know, theoretical progress towards a deal that would make opening day possible. It's just, I think, when it comes to these negotiations, it's going to be heated. It's going to be contentious. Sides are going to be apart until they aren't. Yeah, that's just kind of, I don't think there's going to be like a two-week period of like, Moves being made, sides warming up, sides breaking down, uh, you know, uh, ownership reversing course about, you know, just service time manipulation, arbitration, uh, competitive balance threshold. You know, like, just, I don't think you're going to hear like owners gradually giving way. I think it's going to happen pretty suddenly, like over the course of days. And then, you know, just so whatever happens, both sides will be able to say like, it needed to get done. So it got done. Let's uh, just have a nice five years and then, you know, revisit how things are going, you know, in 2020, 
six or what have you. That's that's I think what uh, you know it's going to look like. So I think I'm not too worried about the way negotiations are being described now, but theoretically this is the way that they could keep being described into mid-March to where, uh, you know, this opening of the season would be in jeopardy. So I, I think there's, you know, I don't know about putting percentage on it. You know, I'd say like maybe I'm thinking, you know, 60-40, 65-35, the season starts on time with some interruption of spring training, but 35 is a, a reasonable amount to, you know, like if you flip a coin, you know, like it's flip a, flip a three-sided coin. <laughs> It's like it's going to it's going to turn up on the less likely one, you know, uh, enough to not make you feel too confident about the outcome. So, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's I would say I wouldn't say sweating, but I would say like I'm preparing for that outcome. If this continues for another month, a month from today, you and I are recording a new podcast. There's no deal in place. How would you feel about starting the season and opening day that they attended as far as that date? I would think that it would, you know, if there's no signs of progress, like no signs of even like that, you know, two, three day period of like things clicking into place and both sides, you know, thinking they're taking what they're getting and, and that's good enough. Like, I still think you would need probably a week for just everything to get together, players to report, players to, uh, you know take physicals and, and check in and, you know, have visa issues cleared to where like, you know, the international players uh, all show up um, without complications. So I think at, at that point you're talking like, you know, you're, you're less than four weeks going into the regular season. That might be a little bit too close. Um, but I think, you know, if, if we're talking about like March 2nd, March 3rd, and there's no sign uh, and, and it might take like another week before you get to that point of uh, just, I guess, Momentum, inertia, velocity of discussions, uh, rocketing towards a conclusion. Uh, then I would say, yeah, it's it's you know start thinking about mid-April or something like that. Just the uh, the toll of missed games and see who's feeling it more because you know players will be missing out on their paid checks then, but also teams will be missing out on TV money and their uh, you know game ratings and and you know you don't mm-hmm. quite know exactly just how. Yeah, I guess all the owners are solvent, but when it comes to the way their teams are running, debt servicing and everything like that, like some teams may be in a precarious position to where like, you know, they might not be as healthy as a stable, long-running ownership with a a real sturdy TV situation like the White Sox. You know, it'll be like if you have a team like the, uh, you know, I'm not, like the Marlins or, you know, the Royals are just purchased or, you know, just the, the Bally sports teams. I think that's where you can get like a little trickier to where those teams might be feeling just as much pressure at the players. For the players, the last three years, they have been stashing away the licensing deals. So all the money that they make on their mm-hmm. likeness, think about jerseys, merchandise, MLB, the show is coming out and, you know, they get a chunk of change uh, for that video game to be using the MLB Players Association license. They've been stashing three years of licensing fees away. So they have some type of war chest. Now, it's not like the players can completely miss the 2022 season and be fine with that financially. I don't think that's really the case. But missing all of April's games, I could see the Players Association being okay with that financially. Obviously they would rather play because they got the deal and they got more things out of the new CBA to their like, 
rather than this current status quo mm-hmm. for that the owners are aiming for with the CBA. So that is something to think about as well. That's I I am really doubtful that opening day is going to start on time. Like I'm currently right now as we talk on February 3rd, 2022, I have an opposite Jim, how you feel? I'm like 2575. I'm mm-hmm. 75% sure that the Chicago White Sox are not playing the Minnesota Twins in late March and opening day. Maybe they do play in the first week of April. Maybe the season gets delayed by a week or it gets delayed by a couple of weeks. And that also pushes the the schedule out two more weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they take the first two weeks of the season, they add them on to the end of the season. So the White Sox season doesn't end in San Diego. Uh, maybe it ends at home against an AL Central opponent, which, in my opinion, is the way it should be. Not that I don't hate San Diego. I love San Diego. It's just a weird way to end the season for the Chicago White Sox in 2022. Mm-hmm. But that's that's kind of how I feel right now, because just based on what's being reported and what we are seeing as far as both parties negotiating here, if, if everyone that has knowledge and they are talking to people that might be in the room during these negotiations Mm -hmm. and they're saying that they're not close. I I don't know. I don't know what's going to change in a month. Yeah. I I don't think missing spring training games is really going to hurt the owners. Cause in my opinion, I still think they're going to try to use the minor league camp to play out these games during spring training to fulfill the requirement to the cities in Arizona and Florida. So I don't think spring training is is a pressure point. Yeah. I I guess I'm still unclear when it comes to like whether those games could be televised, you know, whether they could treat them as major league games uh, because, you know, the, the replacement player idea was shot down. The la- players are being locked out. So it's like they're, they're, they, you know, the, the league is preventing the players from playing. Like it's not a matter of like the players striking and they can start looking at replacement labor uh, scabs. It's just a matter of they're preventing the players from showing up. It's a, it's an action on their part. Yeah, I, I think the one thing, the, the other thing the players have in their favor, I guess, is recent experience and not playing or not knowing when a season was going to mm, start true. and saving accordingly. You can look at it like saying like, well, they can't afford to do that two out of three years, have that uncertain start time and lose paychecks. But on the other hand, it's like they do make, you know, at least you know most of them make a lot of money. They do have that war chest when it comes to, you know, helping players get through, you know, the, you know, the first months. And, you know, they, they know just how to get by. So it's not going to come as a total shock uh, just to their systems and to their, you know, I guess to how they might think of preparing or going without or living or, um, you know, taking, you know, finding money or income streams elsewhere, that sort of thing. So it's, uh, I think that works in their favor more than it hurts them just because um, they, they've, they knew this one was going to be a, a contentious labor fight because they had lost the previous two CBAs and they needed to claw some room back. And everybody who was saying that, uh, you know, they shouldn't complain about service manipulation time because uh, they shouldn't negotiate better next time. Well, that's, that's the lesson learned. And so they have to negotiate hard. So it seems like they're ready, but yeah, it's just, you know, your, your point of view where you can see it 75, 25, the season's delayed. Like, yeah, I can see it. It's just more of a matter of like glass half full, glass half empty. And just the, I, you know, it's, it's kind of a blind faith on my part, just because I don't think there's going to be a gradual thawing. Um, there isn't going to be like this, uh, oh, they're, they're understanding each other mm. like this. Aha. Uh-huh, like, okay, we have, uh, arbitration worked out and now we just have to go on to other things that are going to take weeks. I think it's just going to be grudging, uh, 
grinding acceptance, nose holding to just get a deal done uh, on both sides and neither side's going to be happy just because neither side, uh, right? The players don't trust the owners and the owners just feel like they can or have a lot of leverage to hold out for a better deal, whether they do or not, because, you know, of, of some of the financial pressures felt by certain teams and with certain TV deals, like that remains to be seen, but just that, that's just my, my, my feeling is that like, it's not going to look good until it does. Like, it's just, it's going to be pretty sudden when it clicks. So I'm just thinking like, well, if I'm going by, you know, what it's going to be like in mid-March based on, on early February, I just don't think early February is going to have that indication. I think it's just going to be a matter of like late February. Okay. The owners now feel the pressure to get something done because some, some books are healthier than others or some are, some owners are more vulnerable than others and they don't want to tip their hand too much. So it's just going to be quick. Um, but that, that's basically my feel of it. It could be wrong, but uh, just given how we knew this is going to be a hard fought battle, uh, especially on the player side to get some ground back that they lost. Like it just, it wasn't going to be pretty. And I don't think any updates between now and the end of the month are going to be all that encouraging. So following on a talking point with the conversation I had with Eugene Friedman, it is a hypothetical, but the owners could end the lockout. And if they do that, the league would be operating under the previous CBA and Free agents can sign again. Teams can make trades. However, the risk for the league doing so is that the Players Association could strike at any time. Mm -hmm. Do you think the Players Association would strike in 2022, Jim? I don't think they would. Or like, I think it takes a lot of effort to get everybody on the same page to strike. I don't think it's a matter of like, they would just have in their back pockets, you know, like a, a card to play at any time. Like, I think it takes a lot of coordination. It takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot of, you know, messaging and just understanding like what, you know, what's at stake, uh, the likelihood of losing a season um, and, and losing an off season afterwards, like having two interrupted winters, I think would weigh heavily on the players. So I think it's something, you know, they would like to have in their, you know, I, I guess, uh, arsenal to possibly play or threaten or dangle, but I don't think it's something they'd want to do unless it's a last resort. So uh, I think the lockout thing is more on the team side. Like I think that just that's their way to secure leverage is by locking out players um, and and then trying to play the time game. And uh, there was you know I think it was on Defector uh, there was an article um, to talking about like how when it comes to lockouts the uh, owners don't have a great track record just because they tend to cave pretty quickly when the season starts. If, you know, if they lose games, if it, if it drags into the start of the regular season, like they feel the, the pinch pretty quickly. And, and given how much, you know, on one hand, uh, teams are pretty well insulated against attendance trends. On the other hand, like they get money from TV, they get money from casinos. They're counting on that money more than they are fans. So if there are no games to offer, no games to wager on, no games to watch, uh, then, you know, what does that, what does that mean for their deals? Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, just, uh, we don't know what it's like when they're pressured to lose games. We know what it looks like under the uh, circumstances of the pandemic and the uncertainty of COVID-19 and being the first pro sports league to start a season, uh, under the pandemic. And, and that, I don't think it can transfer so easily 
to currencies and just because we have the vaccine now we have a better understanding uh, of, of watching the other leagues go through it, uh, COVID protocols and how players come back in pretty good shape because they at least have some level of protection, even if there are breakthrough cases, you know, with the new variants. Like, I think, you know, the, the league would feel pretty confident about conducting a season. I think it's just more of a matter of they have the knowledge of what happened the last time when players struck, and they just don't want to give them that option, even if uh, they're the ones uh, looking bad right now, because I, I don't think they're all that concerned with looking bad. Well, Jim and I are going to take a quick break, but coming up next, we'll take a look at the Zips American League projections for 2022 next on the Sox Machine Podcast. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. So we continue this episode now pivoting from the CBA negotiations and taking a look at the latest Zips projections on Fangraphs.com, specifically looking at the American League. The National League projections will be released later. And the Zips projections have also been released for depth charts. Uh, So based on the projected amount of playing time, uh, on fan graphs, you can look at the 50th percentile of the Zips projections. Very handy tool, especially for those that love to play fantasy baseball or for those that participate in futures bets. It's a very useful guide to get an understanding of who could be some of the league leaders and who's projected to have some pretty big seasons. For the Chicago White Sox, right now, right now, with all the free agents that are still out there, that we don't know where they're going to sign post-lockout, and all of the hypothetical trades out there that we don't know if they're going to be happening post-lockout. But as the teams are currently built, Zips is projecting that the 2022 Chicago White Sox will finish with an 88-74 and record. That is good enough to win the American League Central by 10 games. The Cleveland Guardians are projected to have a 78-84 and record. The Detroit Tigers, a 76-86 and record. The Minnesota Twins, 75 and 87, and the Kansas City Royals at 74 and 88. You could look at this and say 
wow, the White Sox are head and shoulders above everyone else in the American League Central. And wow, Cleveland, Detroit, Minnesota, and Kansas City are projected to be Mm -hmm. very close uh, as far as overall quality between those four teams. And in reality, one of those four teams is going to be a serious contender to the Chicago White Sox. But when you zoom out a little bit and you look at the entire American League, Zips likes the Yankees to win the American League East right now with the Blue Jays finishing second. And Zips still likes the Houston Astros uh, to win the American League West. And for the White Sox, that projected record would be tied for the fifth best record in the American League. There's still three games projected to be behind the Houston Astros and a couple games projected to be behind the New York Yankees. Those two teams have the highest win total projected wise so far as we currently stand in Major League Baseball. So, Jim, when you take a look at the Zips projections, let's talk about the division first. The White Sox are projected to win the division by 10 games, according to Zips. As a White Sox fan, you got to feel pretty good about that projection, right? Yeah, I, I think as much of a maybe doesn't qualify as a bummer, but at least you know a muted start to the winter for the White Sox. Kendall Graveman being the only signing. What's going to happen with the second base? What's going to happen with the right field? Will they have a replacement for Carlos Rodon in any kind, or is Michael Kopech all there is? Like you can just roll those questions around in your head, but when it comes to the other positions around the diamond, the other rotation spots, uh, the bullpen depth, you know, everything is in the White Sox favor. Like you, you don't have to sweat. It. <laughs> like when you look what the guardians are trying to roll out at a bunch of positions, like they're still trying to solve their outfield. The twins have like a wreckage to climb out from under uh, the tigers made some moves. Like I'm surprised they're, only at 76 wins because they signed Eduardo Rodriguez. They signed Javier Baez, but they did have some, you know, some, you know, real holes in their lineup. And they're, you know, while they have a lot of starting pitching talent coming up or trying to get established, like they haven't quite, uh, you know, Casey Mize hasn't quite solidified yet. Uh, you know, Matt Manning had a really rough start. So like they can, they can, you know, I, I guess they can, you know, coalesce into a rotation in a hurry, but they haven't done it yet. And, uh, you know, Zips typically likes to see something, especially in, it seems like on the pitching side before it feels like they can compete with what the White Sox have. So, you know, I think a lot of fans too are confident about the, the ability to uh, win the Central. I think, you know, the, the conversation always turns to, well, it happens when they have to go outside the central. You know, they didn't play all that well last year. They've lost against the you know, A's in the first round in 2020 and against the Astros in the first round in 2021. And both were kind of uninspiring losses. Uh, it's a case where just, you know, that's the unresolved question. And then when you see like that, you know, the AL East has three teams finishing with the you know, record same as or better as the White Sox and the Astros are there too. Like, it ends up in the same place. And then when you have the same conversation for as many months as we've been having it, then you have the lockout freezing all transactions. So everybody's still looking at the hole at second base and right field and getting itchier, even though there's nothing the White Sox can do until the league lifts the lockout. It's just, I, I think there's a natural sense to feel anxiety, even if the situation looks pretty much as good as Zips paints. And then when you zoom out and you look at the American League. The Houston Astros are projected right now to be 91 and 71, even with the loss to Carlos Correa. Mm -hmm. The Yankees are projected to be 90 and 72. 
The team that's projected to have the third best record in the American League is the Toronto Blue Jays at 89 and 73. And then the White Sox are tied with the Tampa Bay Rays at 88 wins apiece. Behind the Rays and White Sox, there's a little bit of a drop-off. The Boston Red Sox, Red Sox are projected to win 83 games. And then if the playoffs expand to seven teams, Zips is projecting a game 163 matchup of, you know, current situation during the lockout uh, between the Los Angeles Angels and the Oakland A's uh, at 81 wins apiece. And then the postseason drought for Seattle, they're right there in the mix at 80 and 82. So if we have no free agents signed with any American League teams post-lockout and no trades with any of the teams post-lockout of the American League, uh, we could possibly see a projected team, a projected 500 record team, make the postseason of 2022 if the owners get what they want, which is a 17 playoff. So when you zoom out and you look at the American League and how the White Sox stack against some of the top teams within the league, do you still feel like it is crucial for the White Sox to make some significant additions post-lockout? I think at least one significant addition would help because you figure like, you know, with the Astros probably losing Carlos Correa, you know, the Yankees have moves to make, especially at shortstop. The Blue Jays have made moves and, you know, uh, we see what it looks like when they, when they do. These standings could change like within two weeks of the lockout ending when the next flurry of signings happen. So... Uh, especially like when you look at the central and, you know, Tigers still have, you know, maybe a move to make the Royals could make moves because they have an interesting group of talent at triple a that might arrive and make their offense, if not scary yet, at least, you know, have the potential to be uneven in the fun way to where they can make your, your life miserable for a weekend at a time. And uh, then maybe, uh, get swept because, uh, you know, they, their adjustments made to them, but there's a whole lot of, you know, I think Dan mentions this in his write-up that, like, should the White Sox have a Twins-like season? Uh, should they be the 2021 20, uh, Twins in 2022? Uh, it's a toss-up just because the Guardians have some leftover strength from their pitching, but they've been kind of on the way out. Like, they're, they're just counting on Jose Ramirez doing the whole thing and maybe a little bit of Fran Miel Reyes, too. You know, the Twins have some talent, but they also have very little in the way of pitching unless like Bailey over and Joe Ryan are, are as good as maybe they're, you know, they're said to be when it comes to beating the peripherals. And then, you know, the Tigers have talent, but also just not a whole lot of offense yet. So just there are a whole lot of ways that it can go underneath. So I think it just seems like it's incumbent on the White Sox to at least make one more move, second base, right field, um, you know, another pitcher, I think just even crossing off one of those and leaving second base to say Larry Garcia and Romy Gonzalez and Yobert Sanchez or right field, maybe if you can stitch together uh, with, um, you know, Adam Engel, should he be healthy with a new training staff? Or, you know, I know you brought up Mike Rodolfo and I don't like that idea, but just, you know, <laughs> if they want to borrow a couple weeks or something like that, they can, they can stitch together right field somehow, you know, before like a, a you know, a great option emerges like, you know, Oscar Colas, I, I don't see him being, an immediate uh, fixture, but I, I think he has some things on the side to maybe be a factor at some point during the season. Like they have ways they can get by in right field if they added a, you know, a second baseman who helps. So I think just between those two positions, solving one of them with an external player who helps their depth and makes uh, the team less reliant on Larry Garcia solving a problem versus being a patch 
that's really his best attribute is being a patch, not a starter. That's, I, I think, what the White Sox need to do and just to solidify those standings because I think, you know, the uh, they should maintain their hold on the Central no matter what, but I think you could see some unevenness developed between the other two divisions just based on what moves are left to be made. Zips doesn't think highly or that highly of Craig Kimbrell going to 2022. Uh, a 0.6 projected war season out of Craig Kimbrell. Zips likes Liam Hendricks, just doesn't really like Craig Kimbrell, uh, which obviously doesn't help when you're trying to uh, negotiate trades post-lockout. So even if the White Sox moving Craig Kimbrell, if they do trade him, will not really impact greatly as far as their Zips projected win-loss record. It may not impact it at all, which is, you know, one thing to think about as far as, you know, type the types of moves the White Sox could make post-lockout. You don't like my Mike Rodolfo idea while I was having tea. <laughs> Actually, that wasn't so much of an idea. That was a worry. And I, I'm going to share with you where this concern was coming from. So I was reading the Baseball Prospectus uh, White Sox Prospects Report, the, 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 their top 10. And Mike Rodolfo is the 10th ranked prospect for baseball prospectus. It's a very dour read. Uh, like most of the prospect ranking pieces regarding the White Sox uh, that have been released lately. And I was just thinking to myself while sipping on my tea, reading their report, that I could totally see the White Sox because Adolfo's out of options, that they want to give him an opportunity to prove if he is a major leaguer. And for XYZ reason in my head, I could totally see the White Sox giving giving Adolfo at least a month of April an opportunity to prove himself in the majors. I may not like it, and I totally disagree with that idea, but that's why I tweeted it out to see if anyone shares that concern with me. What if Mike Adolfo is starting games in right field in the first month of the 2022 season? I don't think it's a great idea unless you know like I said they uh it's a matter of they solved second base and uh there's an injury to somebody in a corner spot that allows Adolfo to play but uh to me it would make more sense like if they just tried to carry him on the roster for a little bit then sneak him through waivers after more teams have settled their outfield picture to where they can maybe get him off the 40 man roster for at least one time and, and buy an extra year of team control. I could see it more of a strategic move than a, an actual baseball move. Cause I think, you know, if they had enough health in the outfield, I think they would just try to go first with a Adam angle, Gavin sheets, Larry Garcia, uh, mix and match situation, maybe angle if he's as good as he's looked over the last two years when healthy, like he's been fine against right East where if he played most days, I think he would deserve a shot to do so. It's more that his body hasn't allowed him that. So I think, you know, Gavin sheets can get by for a game at a time in right field. I don't like him there all the time, or at least most of the time, but he also has the potential to hit enough, especially, you know, from the left side of the plate to be that guy. So I don't see Adolfo fitting in. I can just see him, maybe grabbing a roster spot just to for the White Sox to find their opportunity to try to send them down. Yeah, I just, I hate the idea, but that was my dread while I was reading the Baseball Prospectus report and having my cup of tea. What if they actually do this? Yeah, if he had a great spring, like if he somehow like, I, I think what <laughs> Jacob May. <laughs> well, kind of, but except with Adolfo, like you know what his flaw is. You know that like strikeouts. 
And yeah. if he somehow showed up with better bat to ball ability, it might be worth giving him a look. Like I said, just to find that time to maybe send him down and maybe see if he could feel like you have a better shot because you know fewer positions are in flux to give a guy like Adolfo a chance. Whereas like if they do it in the middle of uh, spring training, he just might move to a different camp in Arizona <laughs> and try to break in there uh, for a team that's rebuilding. So that's, I think, uh, kind of where my, my head is at. But uh, I, on the other hand, you know, given Adolfo's flaws and if he shows up to spring training and he gets banged up and then he you know gets 30 plate appearances and strikes out in 17 of them, which he has the tendency to do when he's not 100%, mm-hmm. like he could make that decision for them. So uh, given just how pronounced his strengths and his flaws are, I could see him trying to shift the conversation to giving him a spot for opening day, but I think it's more likely that he would, you know, the White Sox would try to outright him for better or for worse. I just want the White Sox to nix this entire fear that I have and just sign Michael Conforto post-lockout. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. That would be the way to go. That would be a very happy tea conversation. Wondering where Conforto hits in the White Sox lineup. That's the type of thinking that I want to have while I'm sipping my morning tea, Jim. That's not not worrying if, oh my God, are they going to give Mike Rodolfo a chance uh, to start for a team with World Series that, aspirations. But I think that's what happens when you look at two position holes for months at a time. <laughs> And, and the White Sox can't yeah, exactly. make moves. I think that's just the kind of anxiety <laughs> yep, that sets in. That is true. That is very true. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll talk more about the White Sox prospect rankings in future episodes. We're also ramping up as far as our MLB draft coverage as well in 2022 as college baseball opening day is coming up in a couple of weeks. So there will be some type of baseball that you'll be able to watch online or on television with college baseball starting up. And I'll be ramping up as that coverage for SoxMachine.com. And with our MLB draft coverage, once the season gets into swing, I'll have a weekly column for our Patreon supporters. And if you're not a Patreon supporter, maybe you've been a long time lurker, you just discovered Sox Machine, think about supporting us at patreon.com slash Machine. Our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, they get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website, and they get the first opportunity to get our new Sox Machine swag. And our MLB draft coverage will be part of that exclusive content. We have plans starting at $2 a month, or you could save 9% by signing up for an annual plan. And again, that's at patreon.com slash socks machine. And uh, for Patreon supporters, uh, I'll be sending out new promo codes or coupon codes for the uh, supporters in the $5 and $10 tiers because I have some merch ideas and I might be doing some uh, pre-sales or some uh, um, just something to gauge uh demand because I have uh, a couple cases where could be a good idea, could be an idea that falls flat. I just want to be able to gauge. I don't want to end up with a bunch of shirts, say, that don't sell, but I also don't want to like print a dozen and then have uh, four dozen people say like, oh, I want one. Where mm-hmm. where the sale page go? So I'm going to be sending out some uh, just ideas that I might want your input on or maybe open up a pre-order to where if you want one, uh, I'll have a pre-order window for a week and, and then uh, place the order with an informed number in mind. Uh, also, next week on Sox Machine is Prospect Week, which, as Josh mentioned, will not be a 
uh, exciting one in terms of like, you know, top 100 talent. But there will be a lot to discuss, especially with uh, no major league news on the horizon. We'll have plenty of time to, you know, dig into the farm system. And at the end of prospect week is my top 10 or whatever number uh, White Sox prospect list that will be exclusive to supporters on Patreon. So that's another bonus for people who are on the fence of signing up to support us. And again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash socks machine. If you are new to socks machine, you just discovered this podcast. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. If you do listen to us on Apple podcasts and Spotify, please leave us a review. We'd love to get your guys' feedback. The Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces plus 24 7 customer support his venue never misses a beat call quickgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done